What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 87, everybody. And I apologize, it's going to be a little echoey again today. I am trying to custom tailor this studio I've got in my new house. I am uh, waiting on some new sound absorption materials to get here, but they've not arrived yet. I could not Amazon Prime them, tragically. So here we are, you and me, still with a little bit of echo. But that's all right, you guys can tough it out. So welcome to Electric Liberty Land Once again, I find myself with this Wednesday show of mine clawing to stay abreast of the other podcasts in the space because John McCain, obviously a very well-known senator, has finally succumbed to brain cancer after fighting it for several months and uh, has, if you haven't noticed, been being eulogized by the media and eulogized by politicians on both sides of the aisle to the point where I don't even think you're going to need a casket for John McCain because both liberals and conservatives on both sides have been shining his dick to the point where it's got to be so thick with lacquer that you could probably just wrap it around the man like sort of a giant foreskin condom and chuck him in the ground as is. That's how thick the adoration and worship for Senator John McCain has become. And of course, the good senator couldn't wait for yours truly. Couldn't wait just a couple of days more so I would get the hot take on this. But no, that's all right. I find myself talking about it on Wednesday after everybody else has already had their shot. But that's right, because I think I'll bring my own unique perspective to it. And just that being said... When talking about John McCain, look, I'm not here to tap dance on the grave of the man. Okay, I want to make that very clear. I'm not here to besmirch him. I'm not here to, well, I am going to besmirch him. But I'm not here to to to, to crow about the fact that he's dead. Um, you know, I'm not that type of person. I'm not going to say, thank God, and, and ring the bell and sing the uh, the Wicked Witch song. But I do want to speak up very clearly and very loudly when it comes to his policies, to who he actually was in regards to what he did while in office, and in response to the overwhelming fawning coming from all the media and politicos out there. A primary example of that being a New York Times piece by, I believe her name's Mary Rubin, And uh, basically calling John McCain one of the biggest leaders for human rights that has ever been in the Senate. A a true leader in standing up for people that were beaten down the world over and, uh, and making sure that those people didn't have to live in the same conditions any longer. Oh, you know what? By the way, before I get too far into this diatribe. Uh, You can find all the show notes today because it's not just going to be John McCain news. It's going to be a little bit of everything. Um, I've got a lot to catch up on because obviously I did my show with Owen Benjamin. 
Then I had my interview for Candidates of Liberty with Matt Waters, which aired Tuesday. I encourage you to check that out. So got a little catching up to do. So if you want to go and find the show notes, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL87. You can find all those links there. Okay, so getting back into this media phoning though. So a couple of different things to uh, to cite here. One of which, the Washington Post, which uh, obviously has become the biggest leftist shell paper in existence. But as we've seen, doesn't matter. Even though John McCain was a complete warmonger in every possible sense of the word, they have a fawning editorial by Jennifer Rubin. No idea if she's any relation to Dave Rubin. I'm presuming not. But a fawning editorial talking about his human rights record. And this woman has fawned over John McCain for her entire career as a journalist, by the by. Uh, You can find editorials and op-eds by her throughout every mainstream political establishment publication. But she basically goes on and on about how amazing John McCain is for standing up against torture and how he would stand up for all these different people from all these different nations and make sure that their human rights were protected. Now, to me... All that really means is that John McCain stood up against torture because he was tortured. That's like standing up against cancer because you got cancer. And I can't tell you, by the way, how much I hate it when people all of a sudden become evangelical about supporting a cause because they happen to get sick. It's, it, it, it reminds me of the people who, you know, they come around to become anti whatever the cause is just because it's the, the cause du jour or because it happens to align with the political views rather than saying, you know what, you should maybe think about other people more often than just because you happen to be afflicted and now you decide to dedicate your life to fighting this disease because, well, it helps you and it's self-serving. So John McCain, who has the longest record of probably any senator uh, in there of continuously supporting wars against people that we have no interest in uh, or have no, no benefit to supporting United States interests, but supporting wars against these countries across the world of supporting false narratives, especially the war in Iraq, which I guess to his credit, he came out later and admitted was the biggest mistake of his career. But, and by the way, there's going to be some side tangents here because I'm already drinking vodka. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I figured you guys were due for a good uh, little drunk McWilliams electric Liberty land. So tangent on, on McCain, uh, thing here. I love that John McCain admitted that the Iraq war was wrong and kudos to him for doing that. However, he admitted it was wrong with his memoirs. And he knew though, for years after the Iraq war, he's privy to all these briefings. He's making policy decisions. He's advising presidents and Senate committees to go to war declared or not. And he's advocating for the war in Syria. He's advocating for the surge in Iraq. He's advocating, and really, if he was president, we would be at war with Iran, probably still to this day. He was pushing for Iran war more than anybody I've ever seen in my goddamn life, other than maybe John Bolton. I mean, we all remember the bomb, 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 bomb Iran, and he wasn't even president then. He's running for president, saying things that outlandish. But this man says finally, yes, the Iraq war was one of the bigger mistakes. You know, I I really regret that. Meanwhile, he acknowledged that he made that mistake. He acknowledges that that was a complete quagmire, that we should have never been there. A war that was still going on. We're still there. And he continued to push forward the same asinine policies, the same ridiculous, retarded thinking that cost millions of people their lives, trillions of dollars to the U.S., 
continue to push that rhetoric, continue to push that worldview through, even acknowledging the fact that Iraq was a mistake. So I don't give really any credit to that. If you acknowledge the mistake, why the fuck do you keep pushing the exact same ideas and the exact same policies of empire building, of interventionism that just lead to more blowback, more murder, and more death? Inexcusable. And in regards to his human rights, so getting back to this torture thing, I don't understand how a man can be tortured. Go through that and then say, people say, oh, well, he's a hero because he withstood torture. Okay, great. I mean, I, <laughs> I wouldn't withstand torture. I guess that's, that's a good thing. And we call him a hero for that because, you know, I, I don't want to come on to anybody that was in the Vietnam War because that was a draft war, right? And it was one of the worst wars in American history. For our side, it was a war we definitively lost. And it's hard for me to say, okay, well, you're not a hero because, I mean, really, you got captured, you crashed your plane, you got captured, and uh, you survived. Great. Okay, good. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from that. I haven't had to deal with any sort of hardship like that in my life. But the man comes out of there, and now, of course, he's championing against torture because if you've been tortured, I'm sure you don't think torture should be used on people anymore. But at the same time, he is manically trying to get us into every possible altercation we can around the world. So it, the question remains, is he then unhinged? Is he, is he demented from his time spent in this prison in Vietnam where now he's completely consumed with the way he was treated by his captors, with the, the mentality that was in the Vietnam? And God knows, we know some horrible things happened in Vietnam. Atrocities that, that are without a doubt war crimes that should never be forgiven. We've all seen the pictures. We've all seen, we've heard the stories of what happened. Rape and murder, children being burned alive in these villages. Meanwhile, you know, we're, we're the occupying force going through and these people are fighting back guerrilla warfare style, just like, by the way, we did against the British, another occupying force. So John McCain comes out and now he's, he's got in his mental state, and this is just my theory, which I'm sure is not completely original. His mental state is, well, these people uh, were animals. They, how could they capture me? How could they treat me like this? <laughs> Meaning that we do it all the time in the United States. Or at least we don't do it in the United States. We do it in Guantanamo Bay. But they treated me like this. And, you know, they, 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 they have to be stopped. We can't allow animals like this to, to control countries in the world. And I think he looks to places that have terrorists without adding the pieces together to understand why these terrorists exist, why they operate the way that they do, why people that are the native inhabitants of this country would respond in such a completely vicious manner towards people that are trying to overthrow and occupy their way of life, that are trying to completely rewrite the way in which they live without them asking for it. I can see why John McCain then has this psychotic obsession with going overseas and completely destroying, rewriting, uh, overturning, and murdering these cultures that to him probably resemble quite a bit the same people that he encountered in Vietnam. But that doesn't excuse his actions. Simply understanding something doesn't excuse it. You know, I don't excuse the actions of terrorists. I don't excuse the actions of John McCain, who terrorized vastly more people 
due to his policies pushing through all of these various wars, than did any terrorist. I would venture to say John McCain and his policies have murdered and massacred far more people than the Vietnamese ever did. And yet this man is being referred to as a hero. You've got uh, Alexandria, whatever, Cortez, um, Ocasio-Cortez, tweeting how, oh, he, what an what amazing man, amazing career in politics this, this gentleman has had. Never mind that John McCain's career in politics has been supported by the establishment, it's been supported by the war machine. Everything John McCain has done has drawn a cheers of applause from the military-industrial complex, which I'm sure supports his campaigns to the tunes of millions of dollars every possible time. And to have this asshole be called a maverick, by the way, I am so sick of hearing the word maverick, not only because it besmirches the good name of the Mel Gibson film Maverick, which is fantastic. Jodie Foster has never looked hotter. Very funny film. James Gardner's in it. What more do you want in a movie, goddammit? It's fantastic. Check it out. But to call this dickhead a maverick, I'm sorry, I shouldn't call him a dickhead. The man just died. To call this man a maverick, this man who has murdered, murdered millions of people because he had happened to decide out of self-interest, not out of a, not of a personal code, by the way, but mostly out of self-interest to flip-flop whenever it conveniently suited him. And by the way, wasn't Maverick enough to actually go outside of the establishment views. When when he was a quote-unquote Maverick, he was Mavericking over to the 100% blue Democrat establishment point of view on one issue at a time and then returning to the Republican giant government. Because John, John McCain, by the way, is a big government guy. He's a quote-unquote conservative who is a huge government advocate and on record as saying so. So he would flip-flop when it was politically convenient for him to the Democrats, and the Democrats get a big old goddamn boner about it. And then he'd flip right back to the established Republican position. Not like, say, actual Mavericks who would split with convention. The actual Mavericks who would decide, okay, well, you know what? I, my views don't align with either of these establishment parties. My views actually align with something outside of the two-party system. They align with maybe what Americans actually want from their representatives. They don't align with people that want to have big government constantly. They don't align with big government spying. They don't align with the war machine. They don't align with high taxes. They don't align with fucking high tariffs. And John McCain actually was okay on tariffs, if I'm being perfectly honest. But John McCain was no maverick. And to watch people like Nick Sawark recently re-elected chair of the Libertarian Party, wax poetic on how John McCain was a fucking hero makes me sick. Yes, even Nick Sirwark. Our own Libertarian chairman, who also seems to be a maverick in his own right. He's a maverick to our own interests. A maverick outside Libertarian views because he'll, he'll break with his own party to kiss John McCain's fucking ass. Makes me absolutely sick. All right, that's enough on John McCain. I have talked about him before on the show, as have many other podcasters, so I'm not going to spend too much time. I think 15 minutes, 16 minutes, or whatever it is, is, is plenty of time. So let's move on to another topic. What say ye? I know ye say yes without even having to ask you. All right, well, on the topic of war, since that is uh, 
very much tied in to the John McCain situation. Let's do a little talking about the fact that the Yemen war continues to go on. Now, people have actually started covering it, as I discussed with Owen Benjamin last week. And the problem, though, is that the mainstream media still has given it almost no real attention. And because of that, you have people like Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat of Connecticut, who I'm sure I would hate on almost all the things he stands for. But at least he's a Democrat that wants to try to rein in the president's war powers. And so he put an amendment to uh, to block, I'm sorry, not to block it, to withdraw all funding for the U.S. involvement in the war in Yemen. And that was blocked by Senate leadership on Wednesday, last Wednesday, that is August 22nd, preventing it from getting a vote for inclusion in the 2019 Defense Appropriations Act. So clearly, senators, the people in power, the war machine aren't getting the message. They don't really care that the public is starting to wake up on Yemen. And by the time that this, the public actually does wake up on Yemen, by the time the fact that MSNBC wants to ignore the Stormy Daniels news for a minute or stop pretending that Manafort's convictions have anything at all to do with Trump or, or will damage him really in any way, by the time that they actually pay attention to the atrocities going on in Yemen, the 40 children that were just murdered in a bomb that hit a bus, well, it's probably just going to be too late. And it's a crying shame because for all the vitriol and all the venom that's thrown at Trump over all this meaningless bullshit, we could actually try to rein in the war powers. We could actually do something. I mean, these this is what drives me nuts about these goddamn Democrats. They whine about everything. And the one thing, being anti-war, the one thing that was core to their identity, nobody seems to fucking give a goddamn about anymore. You have a genocide happening. You have a war going on. The United States is backing it 100%. You and John McCain, by the way, McCain also... Big backer in the war in Yemen. Maybe that's why they also don't want to cover it. Because if you cover the Yemen war, you can't say out of one side of your mouth that John McCain's a fucking hero. And at the other side of your mouth, say what an atrocity is going on in Yemen and how many children are being murdered by U.S. support in Yemen. And and still say that the man's a hero. And oh, what a, what a guy to be worshipped. Because he was a huge supporter of what's going on. A huge supporter of this proxy war. But the fact that these people can't concentrate on this for just a second, can't stop attacking Trump on meaningless horseshit to try to rein in the president's powers to unilaterally declare war without actually declaring war, to support people, to support a war that's going on in a country next to an ally of ours, which, by the way, <laughs> I, can't get, I can't get away from the John McCain stuff. You know, it just it just is cracking me up. The the uh, whatever Society for Human Rights, the, the Human Rights Coalition, right? They've got a big John McCain, Dick Shellacken piece that came out a couple of days ago, too, by the way, talking about, oh, how he was against torture, which, again, he should be against torture. We should all be against torture. But uh, ignoring the fact that John McCain is a huge supporter of this war, which talk about human rights violations, talk about violating basic human rights in Yemen, like the right to live, like the right to not have your children die from shitting themselves. How about just Saudi Arabia's human rights record? How about the shit Saudi Arabia pulls on their own citizens? How about the fact that women just got the right to have a driver's license this year? And John McCain is a big fan of Saudi Arabia and a big fan of supporting Saudi Arabia's war against people that can barely feed themselves. 
But no, he's a human rights hero. My goddamn real. Anyway, this story's pissing me off so bad. So anyway, yeah. Every attempt has been voted down. Rand Paul tried to rein it in. Now this Democrat tried to rein it in. Been voted down every possible chance. The public doesn't care. The media won't cover it. It's up to me to talk about. It's up to you to retreat and share the show. Tell your friends. If you see somebody on Facebook talking about John McCain, wake him up to that fact. Wake him up to the fact that John McCain is the biggest supporter of what's happening right now in Yemen. The John McCain is going to go down eulogized as a hero. Meanwhile, all of the people that just died today in Yemen, and I'm sure it's in the dozens, if not in the hundreds, who's going to eulogize those people? Nobody. Not anybody on this side of the world anyway. Except for you and me. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land number 87, everybody. This is Brian McWilliams, your beautiful host. And, of course, you can find all the show notes for today's episode on linesofliberty.com forward slash ELL87. So before I get into some hard news topics, I want to talk just about a concept I was thinking about. And it's just, just the misappropriation of shame in culture today. Because I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but, you know, shame is a very good thing. And I'm not saying that people should be shamed, you know, slut shaming. You know, women shouldn't be shamed for wanting to have sex and people shouldn't be shamed for watching porn, you know, whatever. That's not the shame I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the shame involved with providing for your family, providing for yourself, being on the government dole. Because back in the day, back 20, 30 years ago, there was quite a bit of shame. If you were on the government dollar, if you were taking a form of subsistence, you had it within yourself, not necessarily even from society, but the way you were raised, the way that you viewed yourself. There was shame in taking that money because you should be enough of a person, enough of a force, enough of an intellect, enough of a creative entrepreneur, or just a damn good worker to be able to make it on your own, to find a job, to subsist on your own. And all these people now seem to have lost all of their goddamn emphasis on actually wanting to make their own way in life. Now, because of this democratic slash progressive emphasis on privilege, now everybody simply views it as, well, I'm entitled to this. I mean, this is one of the biggest detriments to society I've ever seen in my entire life. Because you have a society that is so 
consumed with blaming people. Whether that be white privilege or whether that's whites blaming blacks for their privilege in regards to some of the benefits they might receive from equal opportunity programs. Whether that's looking at dole outs from the government uh, that that might bail people out when they're in need. If, again, if you're a white person, I mean, I, I'm talking about the general concept of people not understanding the shame involved with simply taking any of that. Any assistance whatsoever. Because look, I, I've always grown up in my life. I mean, the way I wasn't necessarily raised this way, I'm not going to put this on my father saying that my father raised me to resist all help from people, but it's something that was within me. I did not like to be helped. I like to do it on my own. I, I, and that's why I'm not a coachable person. If people try to tell me what to do, I am unbelievably resistant to it. Again, my father, who was on the podcast before, I'll, I'll make sure to include his uh, appearance on the show, as an avid golfer, and as such, had tried to get me into golfing. And I'm a guy that's always been very athletic, good at sports, and I'm not bad at golf, but it was one of those things where the more he would try to teach me, the more, and I know he's trying to help me, but I just am one of those people who I would rather do it on my own. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to do it wrong. But I want the base instruction, and then I want to be left alone to do my business. I want to. I want to feel as though I've earned it, although as though it was me doing it. And in today's society, it feels like that's the exact opposite that that everyone's looking for. Because either people are looking for help, or they're looking for an excuse to say, "Well, this is why I didn't succeed because this I didn't get that help." I should have gotten more tax dollars. I should have gotten more uh, assistance because I'm a woman. I should have gotten more help because I'm gay or black. Or as a white person, I should be out of their head because someone else got assistance. And while I'm sure there's some credence to a small amount of those arguments, for the most part, these people should have just busted their goddamn ass and gone out there and done it themselves. And the concept of someone's privilege and holding someone's fucking privilege as the reason that you're not succeeding is one of the saddest and most pathetic things I've ever seen in a culture in my life. I mean, we talk about the downfall of American society. It's going to come down to two things. Number one, spending ourselves into bankruptcy because it's not going to be getting conquered. That much I can guarantee you. Unless we go bankrupt and can't pay for any defense. And even then, so many guns in America, I still don't think it'll happen. But it's going to be a confluence of going bankrupt and this other concept of simply blaming everyone else for the issues and letting that lapse. What made America, to, to steal from Trump, what made America great was the entrepreneurial spirit of Americans that you to succeed only needed your wits. Well, to, to, to phrase Owen Benjamin, your ween and your word. <laughs> now, women, for you, that can be, uh, I don't know, your, your, your click, your calling card. But the point being, you came here with nothing and you could become anything. And now people seem to think that if you have nothing, you are entitled to everything. And that is fundamentally going to destroy this country. Okay, let's get back to some news. Trumpelstiltskin has now, uh, by the way, Trumpelstiltskin is the name of my fantasy liberty draft 
just FYI, which we will be doing again <laughs> sometime soon. Anyway, Trouble uh, Stiltskin has said that he will get to prison reform after the midterms, which is is good news and bad news. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I mean, look, prison reform, one of the top things on the list. If you listen to Felony Fridays, which you should be listening to Felony Fridays, if you're hearing my voice, listen to Felony Fridays, guys. I can see the downloads. More of you need to pay attention to this show because it is, by the way, the most insur- important show that we have on this podcast. But anywho, prison reform, one of the biggest issues facing America and something that at least we can get bipartisan agreement on. I know Rand Paul and Cory Booker have teamed up on a number of bills to, to address prison reform, to try to rein in the sentencing, to get rid of these mandatory minimum laws that are horseshit, especially in regards to drug offenses. That is pretty incredible. And I'm confused by Donald Trump wanting to wait till after the midterms to address it. Because this is a statement he said, I'm going to wait till after the midterms, then I'm going to address prison reform. So again, I'm impressed that it's even on his radar, to be honest, because I didn't think it would be. So that's pretty amazing. And, you know, we look at Barack Obama, who did jack shit for prison reform, really. To, to have a GOP president come in and talk about prison reform is, is amazing. But why would you not do it ahead of the midterms? Why would you not talk about that now? Why would you not get that issue out there? I mean, you're giving all of these Democrats more ammo to go after you, you know, in regards to these midterm elections. And granted, look, I'm not rooting for the GOP necessarily. I guess in a way I'm rooting for them because I consider the way the Democratic Party is going with the uh, the love fest for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to be something of an abomination. The more socialist we have in office, the worse this country is going to be. But I mean, I guess, I, so, I, okay, I guess in a way I'm rooting for the GOP. Now, granted, I would vastly prefer that libertarian candidates like Matt Waters in Virginia check him out. Like I said, it was just on Candidates of Liberty. I'm hoping that people like that can get in there. I'm hoping that that Larry Sharp can get in as mayor of New York and upset that apple cart. And by the way, you want a fun side tangent story? Cynthia Nixon, yes, same Cynthia Nixon from fucking Sex in the City, for some reason thinks that she can run for governor. Now, or yeah, or for mayor, pardon me. And uh you know, Ronald Reagan, man, people kiss Ronald Reagan's ass too, that fucking psychopath. But he did give every actor the gumption to run for office now. These vapid imbeciles. And I'm sorry for any of our acting people out there that are listening. I used to be an actor, guys. I gave it up to be a writer, you know, because I'm not a retard. But to have these actors who are, trust me, you, living in L.A., for the most part, the most vapid group of imbeciles you'll ever meet and the most insecure people. I mean, you, you want to you think Donald Trump is insecure? Oh, 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 meet an actor, meet an actor. And God forbid you ever date one. Holy shit. But anyway, Cynthia Nixon is going to be debating uh, Cuomo. And this is for the Democratic nomination, right? And Cynthia Nixon's campaign had asked that the debate hall temperature be raised to 76 degrees. Now, (laughs) yeah, people talk about sexist stereotypes. I was talking, which, by the way, uh, if you want to hear me talk about some other stereotypes and the death of comedy, uh, I believe the episode is considered officially titled 
social justice warriors raping comedy or something along those lines. Listen to the System is Down podcast from my good friend Dan Smots. I was just on there this past Monday talking about stereotypes and jokes and what you can and can't say now in this social justice word. And also, by the way, check out HAPA Supremacy. I was just on their show as well last week. I want to give them a shout out. But we're talking about stereotypes. Well, one of the biggest stereotypes is that women are cold all the fucking time. And the battle over the thermostat in the office or the bedroom or the home has been a, a, a constant subject for any number of hacky sitcoms. And yet, Cynthia Nixon has now made that hackneyed fucking premise a central topic of her battle with Cuomo. You heard that right. Because her campaign put out... Sorry, I just banged the desk there by accident. Her campaign just put out a statement saying that Cuomo's people had already locked up the debate, uh, whatever, agreements, and that the room would be sub-76 degrees, and that, in fact, they're not agreeing to put the room at 76 degrees, which, by the way, way too fucking hot. Way too hot. If I go outside and it's 76 degrees, I'm fucking hot. Too hot. Especially when you get a room full of people, Cynthia Nixon, you idiot. Anyway, Cynthia Nixon said that it is sexist and that this perpetuates, that's the best part, that's the best best part, this perpetuates a systematic sexism in office workplaces uh, over this thermostat battle. Never mind, Cynthia, never mind, by the way, that it's easier to put on another layer if you're cold than to take off any number of layers if you're hot. Never mind the fact that air conditioning... And uh, and heating, granted, they do vary. So I guess you could argue that it would be cheaper in the summer, but yet vastly more expensive in the winter to heat that. They they vary by uh, by you know economic times in the in the winter weather and the summer weather. But if we're talking about just base concepts, is this the best you've got in the arsenal? Is, is this is this what they they came together? They, she gathered all the sex gals in the city. They had their cosmos, and they said, "You know what? This is the thing. This is going to put us over the top. We got that bastard Cuomo now. Never mind all of his tax policies. Never mind that uh, that Cuomo is saving up for a presidential run. Never mind all of the the shit that's going on with the metro systems. Never mind." All of the fleeing business from the uh, the area around New York City. <laughs> and any number of the things. Larry Sharp can tell you all of Cuomo's faults better than I can. But no, Cynthia Nix has really nailed him on this topic. Mm, knocking it out of the park there, girl. Have another Cosmo on me. Where was I? I forgot what we were talking about originally. Oh, yeah. Getting back to the midterms. So anyway, uh, midterms you'd think would be something that if, if Trump led the way on prison reform, some of his GOP people that he endorses or whatever else could jump on that. And, you know, for us guys, that's good. I know a lot of you are not Trump fans. I might be a little bit more pro-Trump than you are. And uh, and I'm happy to have a debate about that with people. But, you know, what? if that's something where people can get behind, that's great. Prison reform, the drug war, the sentencing, all of these things are one of the biggest problems that we have today. That, Pretty much that drug war, prison reform, and uh, the war state, those are the biggest issues to me that we've got going. And to have Trump acknowledge that this is something that has to be addressed is pretty big. 
And it drives me fucking nuts that he wants to wait till after the midterms and not have people campaign on it right now because it's huge. But I hope that my boy, Matt Waters, is going to be campaigning on it. As I hope that all the other candidates for liberty are campaigning on prison reform as they go. On to the next story. And by the way, so you know me, I'm completely up front on this show. I was planning on recording this episode uh, well before we had to do our call with our patron supporters of, we call it the Mufasa level, which is like $25 and above where you, you get to talk to us. Uh, shoot the shit, talk about the show, what you want to see, what you don't want to see, what you like, what you don't like. And also you get involved in a lot of like perks of the show. So for example, we're going to do a watch of the movie Troll 2. My God. If you haven't seen Troll 2, people, you must watch it. Nothing to do with Troll 1. Fantastic film. But we're going to do a live watch of these people. So we like to talk to our people and I had to take a break because I did not get through the show. I got distracted, I'm working, I'm dealing with all this other stuff, setting up the call, and uh, I had to take a break. So I am now returning to finish this episode much drunker. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would say I, I was drinking a martini and I drank another martini. Now, so I'm much drunker. And I only tell you this because so much of the show is me just being honest with you guys about my opinion. So I like to share it with you Um I tell you, the most positive feedback I get is <laughs> the shows that I'm drunk. I don't know what that says about me and, uh, and my personality, but you're all enablers and I am back. And so the rest of the show is going to be pretty hammered because I just finished the call with them, which is about an hour long talking to our, our $25 members and it was fun as hell. I shit you not had a wonderful time. So let's go back into the show. Call back. Am I calling myself? <laughs> Let's call back into the show by talking about California's newest endeavor to be completely fucking idiotic with introducing a bill to ban soda from children's menus. Yes, not banning soda outright by you, but no, this is they saw what happened to Seattle. They saw what happened to Philadelphia. They saw the damage this does to local economies. They saw that people will simply go outside of the city limits to buy their soda their sugar fix. So instead, California's legislature passed a bill last week banning restaurants from selling soda with kids' meals. And instead, they're required to offer a healthy alternative, including milk, water, or 100% juice. And by the way, let me point something out. Do you know why so many kids have diabetes now? It's not just because of soda consumption. It's actually because of big fucking daddy juice has made so much of an impact in the market that so many people are giving their children 100% juice, which, by the way, look at the fucking ingredients in juice that's 100% juice. When you're not simply eating an orange, when you're not eating a pineapple, when you're not eating the grapes, when it's 100% juice... Without the slowing down, when you're just drinking a cup of it, you know what it is? It's a cup of fucking sugar. But you know what? The goody goodies, they don't care about marketing that. They don't care. They want to crack down. They want, you know, you don't see any fucking truth campaigns with the most annoying goddamn preachy advertising bullshit in the world against cigarettes. You don't see any of the fucking truth campaigns about the truth against juice. Hashtag juice truth. 
a juice truth. Where have you gone? A do, 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 juice truth. And I dated myself with that reference. <laughs> but look it up. It's a good song. But seriously, fucking juice is all sugar. It's all goddamn sugar. So anywho, now so we banned soda from children menus in California. Why? If your child is already super fat, you know, I'm going to guess that it has a lot more to do with the way you're parenting that child, their activity level, them getting outside, them playing, them having friends. Again, this is a subject I keep touching on, but them actually having a friend group and going outside and playing rather than just simply seeing people online and being a fucking hermit as has happened with society today and the children of today's world, which is why they can't deal with any conflict and they can't deal with, and that why they have no qualm with murdering their classmates because they're not friends. They're simply online acquaintances. But anyway, so thank God we've protected these children from having soda and their parents from ordering them soda because I don't know. I mean, I guess in a weird psychopathic way, I could understand Michelle Obama's idiotic crap about taking chocolate milk out of school so children can't order it. And I guess they're not going to be fat because they don't have chocolate milk. Okay, but that at least is like the child's decision, right? It's a child's choice. If you're going to a restaurant and the kid's meal comes with a choice of beverage, which, by the way, it's not like kid's meals. You go to the restaurant and they're like, it comes with a soda. If you don't want a soda, you get the fuck out of the claim jumper. <laughs> it's not usually the way it works. It usually is a choice of beverage, which can include soda. So uh, I guess they eliminated the option for soda. So if the kid wants soda, the parents are still going to be like, well, I'll get you a soda. And also, let's presume, like I was starting with earlier, again, tangents galore, and uh, and I'm even drunker now, but tangents galore. If the kid's already morbidly obese, you know, a lot of that has to do with just the way the child's raised, what's eaten at home. I don't think going out to the restaurant, which, by the way, is vastly more expensive is the cause for child obesity in your state. One more reason California is full of morons. All right, what do we think? I think we got time for one more. Let's talk about some NAFTA news, eh, peepstals? Yeah, let's talk about some NAFTA. Because this, this NAFTA thing, I, I mean, I, in a way, I'm slightly impressed with Trump, but of course, at the same time, absolutely disgusted. And I'll start with the way I'm impressed with him because, so let's look at Mexico, right? So Trump on the campaign trail basically accused a good portion of Mexico's uh, immigrants to this country as being rapists and murderers and uh, basically told them they were going to build a wall on their own land to stop, or I guess on our land, to stop immigrants from coming over. Pretty bold words. And then Mexico elected, elected, molested. Sorry, guys. Like I said, I've been tricking. Mexico elected a guy who is a vehement socialist to office. And yet, I mean, this only happened a month ago that, that this, this guy took office. 
we have this trade deal coming out, which shows you, by the way, the power of this vehement avowed socialist comes into office. And what do we see happen? Oh, well, oh, immediately kowtows and makes a deal with America to keep this free trade deal going. And that, granted, it's not free trade either way. The, the most misnamed deal ever, NAFTA. But immediately makes a deal with the United States. Just amazing. The the uh, difference between your pledge campaigns <laughs> and what happens when you're in office. But makes a deal with Trump. And essentially what this does, and Trump's saying this is going to replace NAFTA. Now, granted, there's also Canada to consider, which has a lot more to do with steel, but makes it announces a deal with Mexico. And the core concepts of the deal is that Mexico at this point has something like 60% of the parts of cars made that they import to avoid tariffs have to be made in the United States. Now, that has risen to something like 72% of the parts have to be made in the United States, which I guarantee will actually be a substantial boost to American jobs. The other part of this deal says that the people making those car parts, be they here in the United States or in Mexico, have to be making at least $16 USD. So... Here's what that means. And this is where it becomes far less impressive. Because as I've said before in the show many times, everything boils down to what it's actually going to cost you, the consumer. So if you're forcing people to make cars at a higher cost, and the average wage in Mexico, if you don't know, I mean, the exchange rate in Mexico is ridiculous. The dollar is worth vastly more than the peso. You can pay people far less. The cost of living is far less. The cost of food, the cost of sustenance, everything is vastly less. And thus, it makes sense that they should be able to make these goods at a lower cost. And it's lower cost for them to make them. It's lower cost for us to buy them if we get them from Mexico, if the parts are made there, etc. I'm too drunk <laughs> to actually break it down in the pure economic sense, and I apologize for that. But at the same time, as I've said before, uh, I know you people do enjoy it when I get drunk from time to time. And it's been far too long since I was drunk on this podcast that you're listening to in the morning, you degenerate. But in a simplistic sense, Trump saying that Mexicans have to be paid $16 U.S., which, by the way, would make it at least in the upper region, well, probably anywhere in Mexico, if you're getting paid $16 US, you are making something along the lines of $30 plus an hour uh, by the recent exchange rate. Now, I don't know about you or me, but $30 an hour is a pretty goddamn good rate. I mean, it's very high. It's almost equivalent, I would say more than equivalent to what US, uh, well, maybe less, to what US automakers are worth are, are making an hour. So, if you take that into account, and the whole reason why the auto industry has started to thrive by going other places, by the way, then you have an auto industry which now has to have the cost of the cars rise by the equivalent of that doubling of the monetary value, at least for the parts that are outsourced to Mexico or the parts that are being put in place in Mexico. So your car, which costs $15,000, Let's say that was 60% American, right? And 40% Mexican labor. And the 40% Mexican labor was approximately 20% of the cost of the 
American labor. Now that's going to come over here and you're going to easily have a cost of that car $20,000. Now, look, I know the economy is doing pretty well and I'll give Trump some credit for that. I'll give him credit for deregulating a lot of the uh, the legislation. But at the same time, I'm going to bust down on him for the tariffs. So it probably all evens out. For the average American, however, the tax cuts are helping, but are the tax cuts helping to the tune of $5,000 to buy a new car? Fuck no, they aren't. And is helping the 5,000 auto workers that are going to benefit from increasing wages that are required in Mexico going to benefit the average 300 million Americans? Fuck and no! So all this shit does is look good on paper. Actually, it looks terrible on paper if you're an economist. All this shit does is look good for Trump as far as a win for quote-unquote American jobs. It's going to look good to his base supporters and the Rust Belt, the people that are in the economic sector that relies on steelworking jobs, that rely on factory jobs. But in the long run, As we've pointed out before on this show, as is a result of just basic economics, everyone else is poorer at the benefit of a tiny minority of workers in the U.S. This is not the way to get ahead. And granted, look, $16 U.S. is still vastly less than what the average American auto worker makes, which is something fucking-tarded because of unions. Something like $45, $60 an hour to rivet bolts into a fucking car in a conveyor belt. Plus, they get benefits and pensions and everything else. So, retardedly, much lower. But still, like I said, we're talking about an increase that has to be... I mean, I would say at this point... I would doubt the average Mexican car worker is even making $5 American. So you're talking about a tripling of increase in that sector. So not only are you going to see a tripling of increase in that sector, a tripling in cost for those products for Americans, but you're also going to see now a huge amount of competition for those jobs in Mexico. And I would not really seeing the way Mexico is, I wouldn't be surprised if you could see the drug cartels or mafia actually getting involved in who gets those jobs, what happens with the jobs, et cetera. Because when you have Mexico and the way that Mexico operates, and then you have an artificially introduced ecosystem or econo system, as I'll say, where you're vastly increasing the amount of wages to those people, you're going to see an influx of crime. I mean, really, would it surprise you to see Mexican cartel members intimidating people in the auto sector to stop them from getting those jobs and to putting their people in those jobs and then taking half the wages? Because at the end of the day, $16 U.S. is a lot of fucking money in Mexico. And if they take a cut of that, you're still making out like a bandit. So all you're doing is seeding the auto industry with Mexican cartel members. I know, I'm sounding like Alex Jones here. Maybe I'm a little bit too drunk. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but, uh, on this note, I still stand by my theory that this is something that could happen. But uh, on this note, I will end this uh, Electric Liberty Land. I hope you guys enjoyed it. 
And I strongly encourage you to listen to our Candidates of Liberty shows on Tuesdays. Listen to Mark Clare on Mondays with his in-depth interviews with leaders in the libertarian movement. Listen to John Odie Odermatt on Fridays, as I talked about earlier in the show. And of course, me, Brian McWilliams on Wednesdays. And guys, really, above all, well, give us money. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, well, no, please do give us money. But above all, uh, share the fucking show. Tell a friend. I know. Look, my show, I know. I curse a lot. I get drunk on it. But guys, the point of this show, it's not to be PC. It's not to necessarily be the funniest, cutest thing you can send to somebody. I'm just trying to be approachable. The best thing I could do on the show is be me. And I think that's why you guys like this show. It's why we get so many listeners to Electric Liberty Land. But you listening alone is great. You and a friend listening together, <laughs> holding hands, <laughs> whatever you want to do, that's even better. And uh, yeah, look, guys, I can only be as real as I can be for you. And I lay it all out on air for you. You know, shit, man. I do uh, my career is public. I do PR for a living. People can Google this. They know who I am. I risk a lot living in LA to be on this show and to talk to you guys every week. And all I ask in return is that you tell somebody to listen to this show. Just tell them, even if they don't like it, just to give it a listen. Maybe they'll get a fucking laugh out of it, you know? But we need your help to grow. And uh, I'll be really fucking pissed if I lose my goddamn job and none of you guys helped out. <laughs> All right, that'll do it, huh? I think that's good for today. So, guys, from me, Brian McWilliams from Lions of Liberty. From Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty. <laughs>